This is Stage Right, and I am your host, John Thorne. They say if you die with a handful of friends, you die a rich man. Well, I have several buses full, and I'm very excited to share them all with you. This is Stage Right. I am your host, John Thorne. Welcome to episode 12. Gosh, it's hard to believe that we are three months into this podcast thing already, but time has flown by for sure. I would encourage you to follow us on Facebook if you don't already. And if you do follow us on Facebook, the next time you're there, post a comment. Let us know which guests you like. Uh, Let us know how we're doing. Let us know if there's anyone you want to hear on the show. And if they're friends of mine, I will track them down and get them on. So last week I mentioned a possible Christmas bundle I was contemplating. So I've decided to go ahead and do that because rather than ask people for money to donate money to support the podcast, I figured nobody wants to pay me to talk. So rather than do that, I will put together a Christmas bundle and offer some gifts that you can purchase that will actually help support the podcast and give you something in return for that. So that means starting today for about the next 10 days or so, this bundle will be available. And the bundle includes an autographed copy of John Schlitt's Christmas CD called The Christmas Project. It also includes a copy of Awaiting Emmanuel, which is the music from a Christmas production Mark Gershmill from Whiteheart and myself wrote that featured two songs written by my brother-in-law, Scott Cruzen and Mark Gershmill. And then Gersh and I wrote the rest of it. And we did that production several years at the church that we used to all attend. And Mark and Bryn used to come up every Christmas and be part of the production at the church. And my good friend Miyagi, who did lighting for Whiteheart, and Trace Atkins and a bunch of people, he would come over and do lights for us. So the second CD is a copy of Awaiting Emmanuel, which is the music from our dramatic Christmas production. So there's no drama, no videos or anything. It's just a CD. 2020 also commemorated the 30th anniversary of Whiteheart's album, Powerhouse. So Billy Smiley sent me 30th anniversary retro cassette copies of the album, Powerhouse. So if you want a a really cool keepsake from Whiteheart, show off this shrink-wrapped, unopened copy of a Powerhouse cassette. Uh, (laughs) That's quite the conversation piece. Also included is a booklet on Psalm 91. A friend of mine, Dr. Kim and Kreiner, put together this really cool booklet on Psalm 91. That's in the bundle. And to top it off, uh, two stocking stuffer bonus CDs from Billy Smiley's Northern Shore record labels. Uh, It'll be a surprise. If you're a female, we can send you female artists. If you're a male, we can send you male artists. If you want Christian, if you want country, we got it all. So we're going to throw in a couple stocking stuffer Northern Shore production uh, CDs from Billy's record labels. So all of this will be available starting today for about the next 10 days, all for the low, low price of only $30, which does include shipping and handling in the U.S. If you're international, we will only charge you extra for the shipping. We will not charge you extra for the the gifts. So if you'd like to check out the bundle, go to stagerightpodcast.com stagerightpodcast.com or you can go to our Facebook page which is Stage Right with John Thorne on Facebook 
and you can check out the bundle and there's instructions there on how you can order it. So like I said, limited quantities for a limited time, but pick yours up if you want those uh, really cool keepsakes. So I'm excited every week when I have a friend on and get to catch up and uh, talk and share them with you and everything. But I just got confirmation from next week's guest and I cannot tell you how happy I am. He's recorded or performed live with these artists, just to name a few. Taylor Swift, Emmy Lou Harris, A.D., Carrie Livgren, and A.D., who was with Kansas, Dave Hope, those guys, Chris Stapleton, Hank Williams Jr., T-Bone Burnett, Trisha Yearwood, and the Pointer Sisters, and the list goes on and on. One of my favorite drummers in the world, Mr. Dennis Holt, will be joining me next week on the podcast, so can't wait for that. So it's Christmas 2020, and it's been such a bizarre year with the pandemic and everything, and just, just that's like everybody's just in ground fog. They're just kind of ready for the year to be over. I noticed they were playing Christmas music long before Thanksgiving because people were trying to push 2020 out the door and get to 2021. But in terms of a wacky, crazy year, I mean, our family has still had a pretty blessed year. My oldest daughter had her first baby, so we have our first grandchild this Christmas. My youngest daughter is engaged, and her fiancé is over here from Scotland. So we're excited to celebrate Lily's first Christmas and uh, have the family all together and make the most of 2020. So my special guest, Anthony Salee, will be up right after this message. And don't forget, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services to generate more leads, more exposure, and more revenue for your business or organization. Let Hey Rockstar amplify your awesomeness. So out of all the friends I have in Nashville, this guy is probably, he probably knows me better and we've spent more time together than most of the people I know in Nashville and certainly He's one of the most talented people I know, Anthony Salee. Say hello to your people. <laughs> hello, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Mr. Thorne. Oh, dude. <laughs> like you said, we go we go way back. <laughs> Lots of memories. Um, when when I came to Nashville, I don't think it was long after I came to Nashville. We were actually roommates, so that would be in 1990. That that, that you know. <laughs> Dude, we moved to Nashville the same day. Oh, okay. Well, you remember better than I do. Well, the reason I remember it so well is I had been in truth with Dana Capolino, okay. and he put me in touch with Mark Niemer because he and Mark Niemer had played together at the water park at PTL. Wow. So Dana knew I was playing for Margaret Becker and was going to move to Nashville. So he said, hey, I have a friend that needs another roommate. He just got the Whiteheart gig. <laughs> Would you like me to put you in touch with him? Because he and the bass player for Whiteheart need another roommate. There you go. Okay. And I said, dude, that'd be awesome. So that's how you and I met. And we literally signed the lease and both moved to town the same day. Wow. I, didn't, I guess I don't remember all that. But Do you remember the address? And, uh, it's Lakeland Drive. I don't remember the, uh, the actual address. Do you? 3223. Three two two three. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Three two two three. Um, yeah. I mean, so I guess right before that, you know, I had auditioned for Whiteheart one time. Right. On base at, uh, I believe, SIR. Mm -hmm. And then I did a second audition maybe a few weeks later uh, at 
NCS. Right. And then it was, you know, maybe a week or so. And I got a call from Malcolm Greenwood. Yeah. And he said, Hey, you know, we've kind of decided we're, you know, we want you on board. And then, uh, I guess maybe he had talked to Mark Neemer or something because that was kind of already somewhat prearranged. So I'd have a place to land when I got to town. Right. So thank you, Malcolm Greenwood, Mark Neemer, and then you and I, dude. <laughs> I mean, it was so funny because look at it from my perspective. You and I start living together, and everybody starts finding out that I live with, like, one of the best bass players on the planet. <laughs> and everybody, like, anybody that knew anything about music would say, how can you live with him? Like, isn't it intimidating living with Anthony Salee? <laughs> I'm like, no. heck no. Like, this is, like, the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah it's like we could pull out guitars at night and you could i could just watch you play and it was amazing because yeah. being around you made me better just being around yeah. you and watching you you're great in your own right man dude you've always had your own thing going i know but it's but see i understood that about music that everybody's unique and you don't have to be somebody else yeah so i would look at you and just be like oh my gosh that is he's so good I uh, appreciate it. I mean, it, it, that was a cool time, and there was a lot of great bass players. There still are in town, but, you know, in terms of Christian music, there was, you know, pretty iconic players. You know, Tommy Sims and right. Jimmy Lee Slows and, you know, Jackie Street. Um, yeah. You know, and, and Jackie uh, was just always real cool, you know, to hang out with. I don't know if you know this story. But Jackie is the one that introduced me to Kip and Margaret and Paul Salveson. Oh, wow. Didn't he play on one of her records or something like that? Or I don't really know. It seems like that. Okay, so I'll tell you the story about that. Because I was actually going to get around to talking about Jackie here in a minute anyways. Okay. So my last night in truth was at Boardwalk and Baseball in Orlando. And Jackie was in at Boardwalk and Baseball playing the same festival with Renee Garcia. Okay. So I actually met Lang Bliss that night and Renee, and Jackie's there playing. And Roger Breland introduced me to Jackie. So how the story went was Jackie auditioned for Truth at one point in time. Truth didn't need a bass player, but Roger got Jackie a gig with that group called Eternity. Really? Yes. Wow. So because Jackie started out in, a, in Eternity and Roger had gotten him the gig, he was like, Roger put me in touch with Jackie that night, introduced me, and then walked away, and I'm standing there talking to Jackie. Yeah. And he said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep playing? Because, you know, Mr. Breland told me you're leaving tonight. And I said, well, I'd love to. I said, I'm not really sure how it's going to work out. I'm going back to Michigan. We'll kind of see. And he's like, well, give me your phone number. And I'll keep in touch. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. 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 <laughs> Russ Taft's bass player is going to keep in touch with me. Yeah, yeah. But he, he would. He'd call you out of the blue all the time. Dude, I swear. <laughs> I'm in Michigan. Yeah. One night at like 1130 at night, my phone rings. Hey, John, it's Jackie. It's Jackie. I'm like, dude, what? Are you kidding? And, and he started calling me all the time. So he called me and said, I'm going to be in Lansing with Margaret how far is that from where you live? And I'm like, dude, that's like 10 minutes from where I live. Okay. So I went to Lansing to see him play for Margaret. Now what, what his deal was with Margaret is he played for Russ and he was filling in for Margaret while she looked for a bass player. I see. So I went to Lansing, met everybody, hung out. And then Jackie started calling me that whole summer of 1989. 
He would be in Tiffin, Ohio. He'd be all over, you know, Muskegon, Michigan or whatever, New Year's Eve or whatever. And he'd call me and I'd go see him and hang out. Well, that's how I met those guys. And then when Margaret was auditioning, doing auditions, I actually auditioned and ended up getting the gig. Okay. And was Kip in the band at that time? Kip was in the band. Okay. There was a guy named Rich Hardinsky. I remember him, yeah. And Rich also was in Over the Rhine in Cincinnati, and the drummer from Over the Rhine, Brian Kelly, uh, also played for Margaret. Okay. Yeah, I played uh, a show with Keggy, and I want to say it was Creation. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Creation. And Rich played guitar with us. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was John Safira from the original Glass Harp band, Keggy's band. Right. Uh, and Phil Madeira playing B3 and Rich played guitar. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'd played I'd played out, uh, you know, over several years with Phil, and that, that kind of sparked the friendship, you know, that's over the years. And so... Musical geniuses unite, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about all that. That's for sure. Before we get too far away from Jackie, tell everyone what made him so special as a bass player. He passed away. It's been about ten years ago now. Yeah, ten years ago. Uh, I mean, for me, he's just a great person. I mean, and he was uh, he was an ambassador uh, for for bass. Uh, you know anybody that was coming to town? I mean, he would—he was your friend. Yeah, and he was. I mean, as a bass player to me, just listening to him on tons of records. I mean, he had killer tone, killer feel. Yeah. Uh, Just—I mean, everything I've ever heard him play on has been like spot on, amazing. Yeah. And but when you'd meet the guy, I mean, he's just humble and. You know, I've seen him play live a bunch of it, as you have. I mean, it's just, he's killer live. I mean, just <laughs> unbelievable. And, um, you know, I was just fortunate enough to know him. And and like like you say, be able to be around him and soak some of that in. You know? mm-hmm. um, yes, you don't really get those opportunities. Uh, I don't feel, I mean, I, I feel like we were pretty fortunate. Even Jimmy Lee was pretty accessible back in the 90s right you're gonna hang out with him well there comes a point where once you get to a certain level there's only so many people that can inspire you yeah and jackie was one of those guys jimmy lee's one of those guys yeah and the fact that he was accessible right right even even sweeter to me i mean absolutely yeah i grew up listening to all kinds of guys but you know to this day I've, i've never met some of them Right. Yeah, I've met a lot of them, but some of them I've never met. So anybody you want, anybody you wish you hadn't met? <laughs> no, I mean never, never anything like that. No, they've all, they're all been cool. Yeah. Some reason bass players are just unique. You know, it's like um, Billy Sheehan moved to town here. He lives in Brentwood. No way. And he's he's cool. I mean, he responds on social media, and you know, some. I mean, he's a phenomenal player. And, and an influence to me before I ever moved to Nashville, not a lot of his, uh, you know, tapping and all that, just more of his tone and attitude right. in, in his playing. But, you know, I've seen a lot of people move here. Jeff Berland lives here now. What? You know, early on. I mean, I loved his tone. And you know, it's just 
tons of people moving to Nashville. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Okay, before we get too far down the road, let's give some musical context. What did you listen to growing up? What kind of music did you listen to? Well, I mean, early on, I grew up in, in um, you know, Southern Gospel South churches from a, you know, like a, a little kid, you right. know, and I grew up taking, you know, classical piano lessons. And uh, I guess my earliest memory of an instrument would have been drums, playing mm. drums in church. Nice. And my dad actually, at some point, and at the same time, my, my brother, Tim, who is an accomplished pianist in his own right, uh, amazing musician, he was taking piano lessons as well. Well, he, he took that route. Huh. And so my dad really wanted to learn the bass guitar. And I remember it, it had to have been 76 going to the local uh, music store, Ben Jack's Guitar Center in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is where I'm from. And he bought a jazz bass at the time. It was black. It's 75 jazz bass. <laughs> and he tried to, you know, learn how to play that bass. Right. And, you know, kind of years went by and my brother and I wanted to form a band. And so some of our friends, we kind of all got together and basically needed a bass player. So <laughs> I learned how to play bass on that jazz bass. And that's the same bass I play now that I've played on pretty much everything over the years. That is so awesome, dude. <laughs> that thing sat in a closet until you pulled it out and started playing it. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's, uh, I've literally played it on every single project recording I've ever done. I mean, not every song, but, you know, it's, right. it's been on everything. Um, as, as far as bass, I, I think kind of what intrigued me was just, uh, uh, I remember getting an eight track at the, you know, I was still in elementary school when I started to learn to play bass. Right. And there, there was a, a one and eight track from some kind of prize <laughs> night or something. And it was Jeffrey Osborne stayed with me tonight. And I, you know, I later figure out that that's ready for Eddie Washington. Right. And, and he's playing a P bass and that, that bass line just, I don't know. I was like, I want to learn how to do that. That's great. And so that's, that's where it kind of all began wanting to learn how to play that kind of style. Uh, you know, then I was introduced to Nathan East, you know, those kind of players, which you saw in tons of uh, artist recordings yep. back in the eighties. And, you know, I just tried to, um, play bass with as many different people in as many different settings as I could find. Uh, you know, I mean, right. I, you know, my, I don't think my mom even realizes I was playing it, you know, sitting in with, you know, my mentors in clubs, right? <laughs> cover tunes and originals and stuff with these people, you know, it's like, you know, there was a band in uh, my hometown of Fort Smith, that were very popular and great musicians uh, called Paper Kid. And the band that me and my brother formed, the drummer, Kurt Gaither, this, uh, the lead singer is Randy Burton, and he was the, uh, his brother-in-law. Oh, wow. So that was the connection. Right. And so, you know, I kind of started hanging around them, the drummer, Steve Lane, phenomenal drummer. 
Uh, and then the bass player, you know, my mentor is John Davies. Hmm. Uh, and he on keys, Jay Lambert. And during that time, I, I got to become better friends with Steve Lane on drums. Uh, and Jay managed a, a music store in town. And John would go in there, the bass player, John Davies, would go in there to record like his demos and stuff during the day. And he's like, Anthony, I want you to come down and play. Ba- you know, and he, in his way, he was just trying to expose me to different things. Right. And, you know, it was through Steve Lane that I met um, a couple other guys uh, that were doing more of a fusion kind of music. Right. which I, I was just being introduced to that kind of stuff. I really didn't have any exposure to any of that. Yeah. And the, the one guy, he's passed away now, but you know, I've been close with his, his family is Barney Hector. Okay. Phenomenal guitar player. And then, uh, David Spicer was the other guitar player. So it was, it was David and, uh, Barney myself and steve lane on drums hmm. and we went to the local recording studio there was only two in town ben jacks had one and then sigler music and we recorded like three or four songs together um that was kind of my first exposure of really recording in the studio hmm. and the craziest thing is is somewhere around that time i had gotten the mixes of those songs and that was the demo tape that I sent into Whiteheart to be considered. Oh my gosh! You're kidding. How old yeah. were you on those demos? <laughs> uh, I was probably like nineteen. Okay. Because when I when I moved when I actually moved to town, I had turned twenty. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was right in there. And how all that came about is Whiteheart actually came through Fort Smith, played a show, hmm. and uh, a couple of my friends. Uh, Steve gave, uh, uh, Steve Lockridge, guitar player that was in the band uh, early on with me and my brother. And uh, Kurt Gaither, they had volunteered to help load in and load out hmm. for Whiteheart. And they got to talking to, to Jonesy, yep. the road manager. I don't know if you remember Jonesy. <laughs> okay. Jonesy. I did two tours with Jonesy. Did you really? Yeah. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Um, anyway, they got to talking to him. It was like, yeah, the bass player's leaving. They're, they're auditioning people. And I, what's the guy's name that, that that filled in? Are you talking Arlen Troyer? Arlen, yep. Arlen Troyer. He was filling in for short stint. And they were they were like, well, we know this guy. You know, he he's he plays around here. You know, how did we get a uh, how do we get in touch and, and send a demo tape? So they got me all the information. I just sent them that tape. Oh my oh. gosh, that's great. That's how I got the call. All right, you want to hear something funny? Yeah. So I lived in Michigan when I got the gig with Margaret. And so for the first six months I played for Margaret, I lived in Michigan and just commuted back and forth. Okay. And until you and I moved in together and signed our lease June 1st, 1990. How do you remember that? <laughs> I love it. All right. So while I was playing for Margaret in that six months, we did two shows in Florida. We were opening for Whiteheart. Arlen was filling in on bass yep. and Mike Radowski was playing drums. And that was in that period of time when they were probably auditioning you. 
it, it was so so mike i, I want to say mike did both of my auditions oh wow now let's fast forward 30 years i guess for the last decade i've done clinics with mike radowski at the contemporary music center you're kidding yeah for warren pettit warren pettit is the professor over the program there it's a pretty cool pretty cool setup what they do there i mean i won't go into all that yeah we've done rhythm clinics together literally four four or five times a year dude that is crazy literally for the last 10 years oh my gosh still phenomenal player i mean you know great guy i had i had those shows that we played with them was really the only time before or since i had ever heard of him or knew what happened to him you know, I played uh, I played out quite a bit with him in town uh, with uh, oh Rick Elias. Oh no way! He played for Rick. Yep, he played. It, it was basically a trio. It wow. was Mike, me, and Rick, and uh, and and Linda would come and sing as well. Now, did you remember that one of the Margaret tours I did? Rick opened on that tour. I did not know that, huh? All right, so do you remember the day that you asked me, hey, you want to go to Arkansas and help me drive my truck and my car back with all my stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we ride to Arkansas in your Honda, and we get there, and we load your truck up. It's your dad's truck, I think. My dad's truck, yeah. And all the stuff, it was. It looked like the Beverly Hillbillies. You had so much stuff piled up in this truck. Yeah. And there was no air conditioning. There, and, yeah, you, and you said, <laughs> I'll never forget this. <laughs> All right, you start driving the truck, and I'll ride in the Honda, <laughs> and we'll switch every hour or two because the Honda's got air conditioning and the truck doesn't, and it's June, it's hot. Right, right. Dude, you yeah. never switched. <laughs> <laughs> I drove all your crap from yeah, Arkansas all the way, over. All the way to all Nashville. Way That's what friends are for, right? By the there. time we got there, <laughs> I was soaking wet with sweat. <laughs> Ah, but what what was even funnier is, uh, you know, we get up that morning, you take a shower. Yeah. And get, you know, get all cleaned up and everything and walk outside and it's so humid. And that's, that's just Arkansas. But it's so humid. You walk back in and go, whew, I think, I think I need another shower already. (laughs) It was, it was when you back, when you went back in the house, you started renegotiating with yourself. Maybe I'm not going to switch every hour. (laughs) Maybe I I need that air conditioner. (laughs) I need the air conditioner. And you never one time offered to let me drive the car. (laughs) We just kept on going. You kept going. (laughs) I was trying to be a good roommate. (laughs) You just trying to be a good roommate. I love it. I just I met it. you, so I'm thinking, oh. well, you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> so anybody yeah. I tell that story to, they just laugh and say, yeah, that's Anthony. Yeah. That's Anthony. <laughs> Riding in the air conditioning. That's it. <laughs> All right, so it wasn't long after that you guys started recording Powerhouse. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess, you know, I hadn't been exposed a little bit to the studio, but not in on that level not with bill drescher yeah not with bill and bill was great yeah he was you know for a season you know like world-renowned producer or whatever he he had he was just cool to work with yeah he was you, you know for me i was young and green and so it wasn't just all an experience of learning and you know i had a lot of 
if ideals in, in my head that I would throw out. And a lot of that stuff's on the powerhouse record. Hmm. You know, and I'm, I got, you know, some writing credit right. on some of the songs. But, you know, back then we would camp out at like NCS for a month. Right. Kind of perform and write songs all at the same time. Yeah. And then we take them into, uh, you know, during those projects, we'd go to the Bennett house and we'd start the recording process, which was more tracking. And then instead of just, you know, like now, if you're doing a session, you, you just track and, you know, nail what you're going to get as quick as you can and rack up the next song. It wasn't like that. It was more really fine tuning everything and right. going back over your parts and, and, over them and, and going through all kinds of different ideas and different bases and tones and <clears throat> all of that kind of stuff. And, and during that process, this is how green I was with Bill. His favorite phrase to me after I would play the section would be one more time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> one more time. You know, but, but back then that was before digital recording came. So the tape had to rewind. Yes. Through to get back to the punch. So, you know, I had time to collect my thoughts for that one more time. Mm -hmm. One more time. That was an experience. I mean, that was, uh, you know, I had to cut all my bass tracks really late at night. I mean, like 1 a.m. Right. That's just how he liked to work. So. Right. Well, that was cool for me because that was the album where Billy had the idea to have me come out and videotape the making of the album under the premise that I had won a contest to spend the summer with Whiteheart. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Billy always comes up with all kinds of crazy ideas. I know. They seem to work. I mean, Well, it was awesome, though, because I got to learn what it was like to record a Whiteheart album, and I wasn't even in the band. And to be the one to actually videotape the follow-up album to Freedom, I mean, that was just awesome to be around. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was just definitely uh, an experience. And then having recorded those songs and then those songs being released and hearing them on the radio was an experience. And then being able to take those songs and wrap them into a tour right, and, and play them live and you know, people liked your work and it's kind of surreal, really. Yeah. Uh, just to be a part of that whole process, like full circle. Now, were you a Whiteheart fan before you auditioned? I was, I, I really, I loved freedom. Um, and I, I, you know, I listened to some of their early, earlier records as well. I mean, I was aware of, you know, Dan Huff, David Huff, right. um, you know, and, and Gary Lund, uh, you know, obviously Tommy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Chris McHugh, you know, end up working with a lot, not the bass players, but I've ended up working with all those people along the way, which has been kind of cool. Have you had the chance to work with Dan Huff much? Uh, we've recorded a few records together uh, where he played guitar and played cool leads and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, so it's been pretty neat. He actually played on a powerhouse record. I don't know if you remember that. I remember you and I went down to the United Artist Tower one night. That was it. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, we walked in. He had his, you know, he had his L.A. big rack and yep. Bogner's and his classic Strat. You know, he's always played. And the tones were, the tones, all I remember is walking in and all of those tones, because I'd listened to him for years, were coming out of that, those speakers. And I was just like, <laughs> holy 
this is it. There's the tones. Well, you know, it takes a special guy to move to L.A. and become the guy. <laughs> yeah. And then move back to Nashville and become that guy all over again. I mean, it's crazy how good Dan was. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so then after Powerhouse, you guys did Tales of Wonder. We did Tales of Wonder, and I remember in the summertime, because yeah, we do one each year. Right. We went in and cut one track at Quad, and that would be uh, Change the Way. Right. We cut one song, and um, we actually cut that track, that song, and then we played it live. I remember. So just to see what it would be like, you know. Mm-hmm. Does it translate? All those kinds of things. And and then we did the same drill. We we went in uh, for a month and, and wrote a lot and then went back to Bennett House. And this time, it was self-produced, Billy and Mark. Right. And I believe, you know, Brown was involved in that as well uh, in terms of just the overall production of the record. So he he would stop in and kind of give his input. Brown Bannister. I remember on the Tales of Wonder tour, I actually, that was when Dave Eckerman hired me to go out and road manage you guys for the first time. So when I wasn't out playing with Margaret, I would get to go out and hang out with you guys. Yeah. Big shout out to Dave Eckerman. Dave Eckerman. Yep. Lots of people along the way involved in that whole process. I mean, it's hard to put into words how unique and special that time was Uh because it's it's not that way anymore. No. I mean, you know, Tales of Wonder was a special project. I want to say, don't quote me, I I think every song on there was the number one. Wow. It, it, It was that kind of a special project. And I think we all pretty much put our stamp on it. Uh, Chris McHugh had come back in and played drums on the whole project except for one song, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that that was around the time that John Knox entered the band right. on drums. And I believe he had tracked maybe one song on there. Wikipedia says he played on track 10, but I don't believe that was it. I think I it was... I don't. Was it Vendetta? Yes, I think it was Vendetta. And then that was, I guess, in terms of like taking that to tour was one of the bigger productions, I think, that really Whiteheart had ever pulled together. Dude, I loved how that show started. Oh, yeah. Raging, Raging of the Moon. The intro and the first verse was on track. And then the, the, you guys would come in on the first chorus live and it just would be just, yeah. it would explode. Oh, yeah. It was powerful. Yeah, it was. It was, it was fun playing those songs. I mean, I loved because it, it was a mix of. You know, the the freedom top songs, you know, that everybody you know loved. And and some of the powerhouse and then all the new tracks. Yeah. From Tech, which was kinda neat. So Well, I remember when I started going out and road managing you guys, I had the year before I'd went out and done a Rust Half Tour when I wasn't playing, where I would go out and, and set up band gear and be Russ's guitar tech. Okay. And the reason I used to do it is I was a huge Whiteheart fan, and I was a huge Russ Taft fan, and I'm playing for Margaret Becker. Why wouldn't I go out and watch Whiteheart play every night? Yeah. If it meant I got a road manage, I'll go do that. That's a that's a fair trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I love you know playing all those festivals and getting to see all my friends. I, I remember playing, uh, I want to say that was Jesus Northwest. I just remember it was, it was real cool outside, temperature-wise. Mm-hmm. And Russ and... Uh, John Hammond was there. Yeah. Uh, Hollahan on guitar and Jackie. And that, I think that was the first time we'd ever actually played Whiteheart and 
Russ. Right. You know, on the same bill, the same night kind of thing. Because usually both were headliners, so both would be headlining different nights, usually. Yeah, exactly. And festivals were the best because I'd usually run into you somewhere. You know, we were gone more than we were ever in town. Oh, I know. I know. That was actually what was so awesome about part of this to me, this whole period of time we're talking about. Once you and I moved in together, one of the coolest things is not seeing you at home but running into you in Sweden. <laughs> in Sweden, that's right, yeah. I think that was like one of the Globin is where we were. But. Yeah, I mean, we ran into each other on the road more than we saw each other at home. Yeah. So after Tales of Wonder came the Highlands album. Yeah, we did We did Highlands. Um, I, I think Billy and Mark went after a lot of those songs. Mm-hmm. Maybe those carried over. I, I really don't know. But uh, they had already kind of written some of those songs. Hmm. And at that point, they really gave me more. uh, They gave me some recordings of the demos, even though we did some of the process like we we had done in the past. Right. It was a little bit of a different uh, way of going about the recording. And so I was I, I remember. At that time, I was living on uh, on Janice Drive, five oh five. I had <laughs> you moved first, and then a few months later, I joined you at Janice Drive. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and so I just remember, you know, in the basement, just playing through those songs and getting some ideas, and mm-hmm. just went in and laid down some bass. I mean, Wooten and I wrote uh, nothing but the best. Yeah which Rob, was spun off of Robert Arthur, which was one of our roommates at Drive. Uh, and he would always tell the story about this guy that, that would ride his bicycle to the, the little supermarket or, you know, this little store. And he'd, he'd ask him, well, how are you doing today? He'd say, nothing but the best, son. Nothing yeah. but the best. <laughs> so, I, you know, that kind of stuck. And I would say that all the time. And so... We ended up calling that song Nothing But The Best, which ended up being a, basically just a jam when I would do it sound check. Right. And, you know, John, not, and we'd play the same kind of grooves and stuff. It was, just, you know, I think we kind of finalized it with some of the riffs and stuff. But we actually cut the the music to that song on our lunch break oh, when we were in the studio at Bennett House. That's funny. So you leave Whiteheart. And you become more of a studio guy, kind of an on-call guy. Who did you play for immediately after you left Whiteheart? Well, I, I mean, at that time, um, I started playing for Wes King. Uh, yeah, it was just a trio with Wes, Ken Lewis, and I. And we did a ton of fly dates, which was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up playing some with Kim Hill, with Gordon, mm. day on guitar. Um and then I played, I started playing out live. Uh, I did a, I did a con, I think it was like a benefit concert at Amy Grant's house. Hmm. And Phil was there and <laughs> I'm playing with Wes King. Right. And I get a call the next week. Phil's like, I want, want you to come out and play with me if you want to. And just, you know, I've got a few band shows over the summer. And so I ended up doing 
a lot of those same shows are what I described earlier about the creation. We do a ton of festivals and um, yeah, it's just a fun time playing with, with Phil. He, he's kind of hard to keep up with. He's, <laughs> he, he doesn't like to rehearse. So you better be, you better be on your game when you show up. And it's not like his songs are like uh, easy. No. <laughs> like like no rehearsal i want you to come play with phil keggy and i can't rehearse with you <laughs> exactly exactly yeah i mean yeah i mean that's exactly how it was he'd be like oh by the way let's do this song tonight i'm here let's listen to it and i'm like what are all those runs he's playing <laughs> oh dude that's so funny i'm like and we're just we're gonna go out here in about 20 minutes and play in front of a hundred thousand people. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. And don't screw no up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I played a short stint with Martina McBride. And I think the, the main reason of, or the main uh, way that that all came about was that I was playing with Susan Ashton and that band was uh, Martina's band. Hmm. And actually, Mark Hill was playing for her at the time. Uh, he's a great bass player here in town. Right. You know, they said, hey, you know, he's he's not going to do the summer or whatever when you want to do it. And that was a, that was another one of those gigs where we never rehearsed. Hmm. I'd never met her. We show up and literally I'm meeting her as I walk on stage. <laughs> Now was Greg with her at the time? Yeah, yeah, Greg Harrington. Okay, yeah. of course, you know we I've known Greg for years and years because he was close, you know, with Smiley and yep. I think I think Billy didn't Billy produce one of his bands? Yes, uh, he was in early early on. Yep, I, I don't recall the name. You recall the name of it? I think he played for Jeff Moore before Chucky did. Chuck Connors. Yes, yeah, he did. That's... Yeah, he was Roscoe and Arlen. Yes. <laughs> Roscoe Meek Arlen. Yep. Uh, and I forget the keyboard player's name. Jeff Barkley. He's, yeah, Jeff Barkley. Yeah. Yep. He it seems like Jeff was there a long time. Yeah. Yep. I ran into him. He played for Third Day for a few years. Oh, you know what? I I know I knew that. I think I may have run into him at some point when I was playing out with Michael W. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Michael W. Smith's another one of those artists that doesn't really like to rehearse <laughs> and likes to play new songs right that you and i've never i mean and i'm a michael w smith fan and he'd pull some out i've never heard before in my life hey we're gonna play this tonight oh that's funny I'm like i'm like okay here we go <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 one the one concert that so i i had just he called me and asked me to play on one of his projects and this was in i think oh 2003 so i show up at dark horse and we track for a week and he's like hey we're, we're gonna go out to uh california and record <laughs> and it's uh george lucas's ranch oh my gosh no way yeah and so <laughs> this is like a, a a five thousand acre compound right out in the middle of nowhere you know like north of san francisco right and it's called skywalker sound and it's it's where john williams records all these orchestras for the star wars movies unbelievable and so <laughs> and we, you know we do it we do a week of recording there and when we're finishing up he's like hey you you 
we're going to do a show with the Nashville Chamber Orchestra. Do you think you'd be interested in, in playing the, the show? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. You know, these people are reading off. Right. <laughs> charts and stuff. I mean, and we've never rehearsed any of this stuff, so I'm reading charts. <laughs> and it, it's at the First Baptist of Brentwood, and the place is packed, you know. Okay. And then he's, he he calls me and he goes, hey, we're, we're going to do a worship night down at Ryman for GMA week. Do you, you want to do it? And at this time, I you know, I had not toured or anything with, with Smitty. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I can do it. And so what time do I need to be there? <clears throat> of course, there's no rehearsal. <laughs> of course. And like, like, I don't, I've never even been exposed to these songs that we're going to play. Right. And I show up and then I start seeing all these people come in that I know. Stephen Curtis Chapman. Yep. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Amy Grant. <laughs> and I, I'm looking around and it's like, you know, all the who's who in CCM back in the day. Right. Are the choir for the night. And we completely wing a two-hour worship set on the fly with no problem. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. Well, I don't, I don't know if it was. Actually, there was some recording of that at some point. Uh, yeah, I, I would never be able to find it now, but it was kind of funny. All right, so let me interrupt you and just ask you a question that's total sidebar to what we're talking about. Okay. For people that can't do it, it doesn't make sense to them, but I'm going to just throw this at you. You can play a song that you've never played if you've heard it, right? You pretty much, yeah. I mean, because once you've played at a certain level for so long and absorbed music and learned songs and rehearsed and all that, it's become so much a part of you that really all that's really left when you hear music is to kind of figure out what key it's in. It. Yeah, and, and a lot of times I can already hear what key it's in. Yep, the benefit you get from thousands and thousands of hours of practicing. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's like, uh, you know, as my kids were growing up, they'd Dad, play this song. They, they would, their mouths would drop. <laughs> yeah. I, I would just play play the song verbatim right back to me like dad how do you do that <laughs> yep. i hear it and like what you're saying i visualize it exactly and it, it's a lot easier to do obviously if not if it's a country song or something like that because it's you know you can kind of anticipate and hear all those chord changes and that's you know that's how you write out a chord chart you know number of chord chart right kind of listen to the, the changes you know the sixes and yeah you know, that kind of stuff. So being able to play by ear is such an awesome gift and way to go. So just practice it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd still do it all the time here at home. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, that was how I practiced growing up. Exactly. Is I just pull up radio and play to it. Yep. I would sit and play TV show themes. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, I mean, it expands everything. I think, you know, people ask me, well, what do you think I should practice? And I'm like, well, play to anything put on spotify and just start playing to it there are no shortcuts you have to put the work in and you have to practice it yeah but when you do the results are astounding and can be life-changing yeah and i even to further that like that clinic that i was talking about with warren pettit right part of that is just to show the group which is usually about 30 college-age kids uh kind of where the bar is in town yes <laughs> so we we do it just like it's a session 
they get up and they've written their song and they perform their song for us. And we write a chart out and then we go back and play it back to them, right back to them. And it sounds completely different. Mm -hmm. And so this is another thing that comes from just playing all kinds of different music and different genres. Right. Is he'll take one of the courses from one of those songs and say, okay, play it reggae, play it metal, Hmm. play it bluegrass. You know, play it, uh, and then he'll he'll get them. Okay, R and B, funk, James Brown funk. You know, and so here we are playing these same chord progressions in mm-hmm. twenty different styles. Right. And you know, his point is, you know, these guys have been exposed to all kinds of different of genres of music. They may not be a master at it, but they can certainly pull it off if they're asked to do that. And know? then you've got worship bands across the country every Sunday that play four songs with three and a half chords each, and nobody can play the music without chord charts. Well, I tell you, that's what's funny, is it like uh, the last one he always chooses is, okay, play it. Play that same progression hmm, worship. No way. <laughs> and it, of course, it sounds like you, uh, you two. Right. <laughs> Yep. I'll tell you a funny story though. The first time he pulled out and said worship, Mike Rudolski whispers <laughs> over to me. He goes, "What's that sound like?" Oh my god! No way. <laughs> he had never played worship. Oh, he didn't man. know what it was. Oh, that is too funny, dude. That's great. Yeah, I mean, he's been exposed to more now. <laughs> yeah. So he he gets it. Right. Yeah, it was just funny. I, so I, I whispered back. I go, "You too." He just nods. <laughs> he goes, I, "I got that." Well, what's I got that. What's funny about that is your response. You too. You too. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, yep. most most of it. Too I much. Mean, there's some unique worship music out there, obviously. Right. Not much. Not much. Yeah. <laughs> Not enough. Not enough. The creator of the universe is out there waiting and hoping that someone taps into a frequency that helps them write better worship music. Yeah. Oh, I, I, a funny story is. Uh, yeah, you know, I was touring with Michael W, and we we were playing in Ireland, and um, you know that was when we were doing kind of the twenty year reunion. So we were covering, you know, like way early music, you know, all the uh, Go West Young Man stuff, mm-hmm. and we would kind of work our way up to the worship portion, you know, and so. This guy comes back. We take a break because he would do like a medley of a lot of his, you know, hits that he had had. Just him and piano. And the guy comes back. He goes, when are you guys going to play that worship music? (laughs) He's like, we didn't come to listen to all this pop stuff. (laughs) I mean, like, he he was like upset. (laughs) Oh, that is funny. He's ready for it, man. I need Agnes Day now. Agnes Day, yeah. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, the last time I saw you, you were up here with the Union of Sinners and Saints. Are you guys doing anything new? Uh, we did a couple of songs, um, newer songs that we actually recorded before we, I believe, before we came up there or before we went to uh, Canada and played the the show yeah. up there, the festival up there. Um. <laughs> But really, we haven't done anything since that time. You going to do another record? I don't know. We haven't really talked about it. Hmm. Um, I mean, I thought it—I thought it's a pretty cool record overall. 
Um, oh, dude, you're, I thought it was awesome. And I thought the two songs, because I did videos for those two yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, they yeah. were amazing. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, we, we tracked that over at Jay DeMarcus's, those two songs over at Jay DeMarcus's studio. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah. And it, he's got a cool setup over there. What's his studio? It's well, it's in a it's actually part of his basement. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean it's so it, it's it's a uh, you know kind of like a control room. Um Right. It's got uh you know drum room, you know vocal booth, that kind of stuff. And then the rest of he's got a smaller little studio, you know, edit studio in there. Right. And then the rest of it's just more like a lounging and pool table and TV and you know, video games, that kind of stuff. So cool. So I don't know about the union of sinners and saints. All right, dude. Well, I'm going to get you out of here on this. Okay. Is there anyone you would love to play for that you haven't? For me, I'm pretty content in what all I've done mm -hmm. in, in music. And, you know, I'm just now starting to work on some of my own music mm -hmm. and, uh, which is kind of neat. You know, I just did a single with, uh, Phil Keggy. We did a remake of the Beatles, um, uh, blackbirds right and it's just a duo it's all it's all it is just me and phil so right it's beautiful man it's very very good I, I guess for me i'm pretty content with what all i've done the only thing in the back of my mind that i've never really done is more of a bigger like stadium tour with mm. a world-renowned artist like a peter gabriel or something like that right to me that would be a pretty neat yeah uh tour for sure but there's just not there's not a ton of those kind of iconic artists out there that are doing those big tours like that right you know like a sting or somebody like that for sure so hey um one of the things i love is when i open my email and there's a new tune from you because a lot of times you send me songs that you've recently played on you just not long ago sent me two of the songs from your ep when you get that finished are you going to release that on cd are you going to have hard copies available yeah so i guess my plan is is i've got most of most of the recording done mm -hmm. i've got one other song that i'm working on with uh dana glover okay she's a a great pianist has a killer voice and i played on her first project uh mark townsend produced okay um and so you know, we've known each other over the years and, um, she plays saxophone. She's, she's done a ton of stuff. Cool. Uh, we're going to do one song together and then, uh, we've got one more with Phil and then my longtime friend, Keith Carlock's playing drums on two tracks. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if people know Keith, but he, he toured with Sting, John Mayer. I mean, he's been Toto. Toto. I mean, he's been with Steely Dan for probably twenty years. Yeah. Um, phenomenal player. Yeah. And then I've got one song with Osnoy, which Keith played a ton with Osnoy. He's a guitar player uh, yeah. based out of New York. Um, so I mean, that's it. I want to. I want to release all the songs and then package it up, release it as an EP, and then you know have hard copies available. Right, that's awesome. So yeah. tell tell everybody where they can find that stuff, the stuff you have released. Uh, so right now, I mean the the first single, Blackbird, you can find it on Spotify, Pandora. You know, obviously it's on iTunes, right. um, but you know, Amazon, any any digital platform out there. Cool. I think there's like a hundred of them. 
that is broadcast out to. So you can you can find it. Right on, dude. Well, let me just say for the record, I've told you this a hundred times over the years. You are my all-time favorite bass player. Oh man, I, I appreciate it. I really do. I can't wait for you to get your EP finished oh, because the world needs to hear a lot more from you. Thank you, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this today. I hope you uh, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, dude. I love you. Love you too, my friend. See you soon and stay safe. You too. God bless you. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services for your church to generate more interest, create more exposure, and reach more people. Let Hey Rockstar amplify the awesomeness of your ministry. And, as always... Hey, Rockstar is a proud sponsor of the Stage Right with John Thorne podcast. Thank you for listening today. My thanks to Hey, Rockstar. My special thanks to Anthony Salee for being my guest. Next week, world-class drummer Dennis Holt. Have a fantastic week.